God's plan for your life is for you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy all your days. Isn't that right? Well, maybe you wish it was so. Here's a quote for you. It's God's will for you to live in prosperity instead of poverty. It's God's will for you to pay your bills and not be in debt. It's God's will for you to live in health and not in sickness all the days of your life. So writes Joel Austin, pastor of Lakewood Church, a megachurch in Houston, Texas. Does that sound right to your ears? Or here's another one. Biblical prosperity is the ability to be in control of every circumstance and situation that occurs in your life. No matter what happens, whether financial, social, physical, marital, spiritual, or emotional, this type of prosperity enables you to maintain control in every situation. So writes Creeflo A. Dollar Jr. in Total Life Prosperity magazine. With a surname like Dollar. (laughs) Anyway... Does this sound like biblical teaching? Does it reflect your experience of life, of the Christian life? I doubt it. So far in our More Than a Comma series, looking at Jesus' ministry during his life on earth, we've seen him tempted but without sin. We've watched him heal and forgive a paralytic man. We've listened as he teaches with unrivaled authority And we've witnessed him forgiving a sinful woman. And remember, Luke is writing this book to clearly document a factual account of what we need to know about Jesus. So let's see what we can learn about him this evening. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 8, if you're using the Pew Bibles, you'll find this on page 1037. So Luke chapter 8, we're going to read from verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. We're going to look at this passage under three headings. Storms will come. Jesus is in total control. And who is this Jesus? And it's really the third point that is the whole thrust of why Luke includes this story in his gospel. This is, in essence, why he's writing the whole book. But there's a lot for us to learn from this passage as we make our way to that point. Because to say it's God's will for us to be healthy, wealthy, and happy sells his plan for our lives so far short of what he desires for us. It's his will that we learn the answer to this question, who is Jesus? And learn it in the reality of our daily Christian lives. So, firstly, storms will come. Are you a weather watcher? Are you always looking for what's coming so you can plan for it? So you can have all the appropriate seasonal clothing you need for each day? Which in Northern Ireland usually means clothes for three seasons. 
since we don't get much summer? Or do you just carry on without worrying, taking it as it comes and not thinking too much about what the weather might do? If the sun's shining in the morning, why worry about bringing a coat? Those of you who know me can probably guess which type I am. That's right, yes, laid back, take it as it comes. Why are you laughing? Well, the disciples would have been experienced weather watchers. Many of them were seasoned fishermen, so when planning a voyage in their boats on the Sea of Galilee, they would have known when to go and when not to go. And at the start of our passage today, Jesus has been engaged in a busy period of ministry, teaching crowds and crowds of people. And if you remember in that day, a whole village would have consisted of maybe 50 to 100 people. So for a teacher to have hundreds, even thousands at times coming to hear him was almost unheard of. And it was tiring and exhausted. Jesus was physically tired, reminding us of our humanity, reminding us that he has experienced the human condition and he knows our weakness and our frailty. So to escape the crowds, he tells his disciples to take him in their boats to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, which is a journey of about eight miles. So that doesn't sound like much to us, but when was the last time you rode for eight miles? So it's a significant journey, but it's one that they had done many times before. And experienced fishermen that they were, they wouldn't have set out had the conditions been particularly suspect or dangerous. I don't know how you are about boat journeys, but there's somebody very dear to my heart who is very reluctant to board a boat even when the sea is mirror calm, let alone any hint of a storm. And if we think about how we live our lives, it's probably similar. I doubt many of us go looking for trouble, conflict, or difficulties in our lives. We generally try to avoid such things. It's natural. We try not to embark upon a course that's heading into the heart of a storm. And I don't think that means that we're following the so-called prosperity gospel that our opening quotes would despise. It's just a natural aspect of human life. And as the disciples and Jesus set out in the boat, such was the absence of stormy waters and such was the tiredness of Jesus that we read he fell asleep in the boat. And I imagine for most of us, a boat journey would have to be really calm for us to fall asleep. But it didn't remain calm for long. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. And there are mountains all around. Mount Hermon is only 30 miles north. And oftentimes storms would blow up on the lake as cold air rushed down from the mountains, meeting warm air over the water. This would have been no surprise to the disciples. Some of them had spent their lives on the water, sailing since they were children. It wasn't their first storm. We don't have to live many years on this earth before we realize that life is not without storms. Life in this world that has been marred by sin and this fallen creation means that difficulties, hardships, and trials come. I doubt there's anyone here for whom life has been nothing but plain sailing. And despite what we read in our opening quotes, being a Christian does not in any way make you immune to the storms of life. I'm sure there's no one here who would contest that. But this was no ordinary storm that the disciples faced. This one, it appears, was off the scale. This one tested them to their limits and beyond. 
And the word used in the original text is lilaps, which means whirlwind. When I'm flying on a plane and it gets rough, turbulent, or very unsettled, one of my coping mechanisms is to look at the cabin crew. And no doubt it's partly their training, but if they look calm and unfazed, I'm reassured. They've seen this before, nothing to panic about. Not so very well, however, if sometime when that happens I see them looking afraid or concerned, well then I'll worry. These experienced fishermen were afraid. They were fearing for their lives. This was a new experience for them. This was a storm unlike any they had faced before. It wasn't their first storm, but they feared it would be their last. What about your life? Yes, we've faced storms. But perhaps you've had a calm for most of your life. Perhaps the storms have been fairly minor. You've been able to overcome them. Have you ever faced a storm that you didn't think you could handle? Have you ever faced a situation that was extreme beyond anything you had experienced before? Have you ever faced a trial that you didn't think you were going to get through? Perhaps illness. Either yourself or a loved one. Perhaps financial hardship. Losing a job and not knowing where to turn. Perhaps facing serious relationship problems. Or facing persecution and intimidation. If you'd asked me this time last year, I would have had to say that, praise God, my life had been pretty much calm. And I did give thanks to him for his many blessings. Any storms that had come had not been very challenging. The waters were calm. Aside from the trauma of turning 40 last summer, life was good. I was feeling well. I was the fittest and strongest I'd ever been in my life. And then suddenly, out of the calm waters, came the most difficult storm I've ever known. As I was taken on well, really quite unexpectedly, and ended up facing very unpleasant emergency surgery, and a very difficult and challenging aftermath in the recovery period. And previously, I would always have agreed that, yes, life is storms that we must face. But I had never before faced an extreme storm that so threatened my health or my life. And maybe you're in that place at the moment. You're facing the greatest storm of your life, and you can't see an end to it. You've never known a trial, suffering, or hardship the like of what you're trying to deal with at the moment. And although you might feel alone, although you might feel like no one has gone through this before, you're not alone. This is common to a lot of Christians' experiences. Hold tight and keep listening, because Jesus is still in the boat. Perhaps at the moment, your life is calm. And things are good. Don't feel guilty. Rejoice and thank God. But be prepared for the fact that severe storms can come even for those who are disciples of Jesus. In chapter 1 of his letter, James writes to believers talking about when storms come. Not if they come. So be prepared. Don't be surprised. And as you read God's word, both Old and New Testament, you don't have to read too far to find God's people facing incredibly difficult situations. Storms will come. 
Jesus has total control. I'm sure you've all seen cheesy motivational posters at times, but have you come across demotivator posters? A cynical take on the genre. Do an internet search for them when you get home. They really appeal to my sense of humour. Here's one. Despair. It's always darkest, just before it goes pitch black. And it's funny, but sometimes life can be like that. The disciples were in the worst storm they had ever faced. And despite their best efforts, the use of all the skills they had, it just kept getting worse. And we can face times like that too. We're in the midst of hard times and we're hoping and praying that things get better, that the trials we're facing will ease. And instead, it just seems that they get worse. In situations like that, there's a question that comes to all of our lips. Why? I'm sure the disciples asked that too, because if you remember, the reason they were in that situation at that time was because Jesus had told them to take the boats out to cross the Sea of Galilee. They were following his instructions, and I'm sure they must have asked themselves why this was happening. Because that's the challenge that storms can bring. Whilst, yes, God can bring challenges and storms to help redirect us sometimes when we've gone astray, he can use them to bring us back to him. But sometimes storms, intense storms, can come when we're actually walking in God's ways, following his will and serving him. Contrast the story of Jonah. In a way, it's more understandable. Jonah was disobeying God. He was running away. So God uses a great storm to bring Jonah back to where God wants him to be. But the disciples, they were already following Jesus' instructions. Yet they're in the midst of the worst storm they have ever faced. It's a challenge to our faith. In trials, suffering, hardship, we can all ask why. Sometimes, usually from some time later down the line, we may look back and have an understanding of why that particular storm came. Or sometimes we seek to comfort ourselves that maybe when we look back over our life at its end, or even in heaven, we will understand why that particular storm came and overwhelmed us. But a hard truth is we might never know or understand why it happened. Consider the story of Job. Job faced a level of suffering and trials that are the stuff of nightmares. He didn't know why it was happening, and that was the hardest part for him. Yes, we get a ringside seat. We see the dialogue between God and Satan, and we can understand why it's happening. But Job doesn't know any of this. He keeps asking why. He keeps wanting to put his case to God. And what happens? God speaks to him and shows Job his majesty in creation, his sovereignty over all things. And what's Job's response? I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. And although Job does receive many blessings, we aren't told if he ever understood why he faced such a storm in his life. If we believe that God is all-powerful, 
If we believe that God is sovereign over his creation, if we believe that God can do all things and that he orders things as he desires and plans, then we have to accept that God is sovereign in the storms that we face in our life. When we're in calm waters, it's relatively easy to believe this. But when we're in the dark night of a storm, it is agonizing. In anguish, we cry out to God, why? Why is this happening to me? What is going on? Why are you letting me go through such pain? Don't you love me? Why won't you relieve my distress? Have you ever been in such a storm that you've cried out like that? Perhaps you are right now. The disciples were at the end of their own resources. They had rowed with all their strength. They had used all their many years of seafaring experience. They had done everything possible within their powers to make it through the storm. And they were at the point where there was nothing more they could do. They had nothing left to give. No more suggestions. No more ideas. They were at the end of their tether. And they come to Jesus. When you face a severe storm in your life, you can come to that point too. You've done everything within your power to overcome it. You've tried everything you can think of. You have exhausted all of your resources and there's nothing more you can do. Have you ever been in such a storm that you have sincerely from the heart prayed for Jesus to return right now, to end this pain, this suffering for you and for this fallen creation to make all things new, to restore everything to how God intended that it should be? It's a dark place to be in. It's a humbling place because you realize that you have nothing but Jesus. You can do nothing but fall humbly before him and beg for his help. But why did the disciples leave it so long before waking Jesus to ask for his help? I don't know. Why do we struggle on for so long at times before coming to Jesus to ask for his help? Well, eventually the disciples do wake Jesus, who incidentally was still fast asleep during this incredible storm. Was he that tired? Or does it tell us something more? That Jesus was still in control. They wake him, exclaiming, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Jesus gets up and with a word rebukes the wind and waves. And we've heard this story so often that I think we probably lose the full impact of what happens. Picture it. You're on a boat in the worst storm of your experienced seafaring life and your conclusion is that there is no other possible outcome other than you're all going to drown so extreme is this storm the skies are dark the wind is a howling whirlwind and the waves are threatening to swamp your boat at any moment and with a word the storm is stilled not reduced to the point of tolerability but stilled completely The wind doesn't just drop down a notch or two, it stops. It doesn't just fade away, it stops dead. 
The waves don't just settle to their usual level. They stop and all was calm at the word of Jesus. There's a swimming pool at the gym that Alison and I go to and one of the loveliest things we like about it is to occasionally go in and find there's no one in it. And the water is a glassy calm, like a mirror. And I don't know why it is, but it just seems like a lovely slice of luxury to get into the pool when it's like that. Yet with even one person in it swimming up and down for a while, when I've got out and stopped for a moment to look back at the pool, it takes a long time for the ripples to settle. And I've never been patient enough or had enough time to wait and see how long it actually takes to return to the mirror calm. Yet Jesus' word affects such a calm in the midst of the most extreme storm these men had ever known. If you had been in any doubt who was in control of the storm, you aren't now. Jesus has total control. Was he any less in control when the wind and waves were still raging? Tim Keller says, if he's Lord of the storm, then no matter what shape this world is in or your life is in, you will find Jesus provides all the healing, all the rest, all the power you could possibly want. In the midst of severe storms that we face, where is Jesus? He's right there with us in the boat. What should we do? We should turn to him, fall humbly before him, acknowledge that he is sovereign and ask for his help. Even when the storm is still raging about us, is Jesus in control? Yes, even when the storm looks as if it might overwhelm us, Jesus always has total control. Who is this Jesus? So now the disciples have gone from being afraid in the midst of the raging storm to being absolutely terrified, despite the fact that the wind has gone and the water is still. Why? Because they realize that they are in the presence of a power greater than that of the wildest storm. They realize that this Jesus in their midst is so much more than they had already realized. It was dramatic to see him heal the sick. It was invigorating to see him teach with authority. It was stunning to see him say that he could forgive sins. But now they'd seen that this Jesus had absolute power over all creation. Who is he? A prophet? A healer? A teacher? Yes, but more than that, he is the Lord of all creation. Paul spells it out in Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This Jesus who lived in their midst was the same Jesus who was with the Father as creation was called into being. As John says in his gospel, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. 
Who is this Jesus? He is God incarnate. And as the disciples' realization of this grows, we can understand their terror. They were in the presence of God himself. And when we're being tossed around by the storms we face, let us remember whose hands we are in. Are we in the hands of nature? Of fate? Of disease? No. We are in the hands of Jesus, the incarnate God, the ruler over all creation, the sovereign, all-powerful God, the one who orders all things, the one who can do all things, whose plans cannot be thwarted. And yes, his plans may not be what we might prefer or desire at times. His ways are not our ways. But he is not only all-powerful, he is good and works out all things for the good of those who love him. C.S. Lewis writes in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the children ask Mr. Beaver, is Aslan the lion safe? Is he safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king. And yes, in this passage, we see the dramatic halting and resolution of the storm in an instant. So often in life, it may not be like that. We may be called to suffer for a season, perhaps a long period. We may not see a full resolution of the storms we face. Or we may be left with ongoing after effects from such storms. Does this mean Jesus isn't in control? Does it mean he isn't the king? Far from it. When reading this story in Luke, I almost feel sorry for the disciples as Jesus chastens them. Where is your faith? I mean, they, they did bring their problem and situation to Jesus. They came to the right person. And yes, that was right. But they came convinced they were going to drown. Where was their faith? When we are ravaged by a storm, the same question comes to us. Where is your faith? Is it in yourself? Your own powers? In the ability of others to help you? In the doctors and nurses who might be treating an illness? In the pastors and elders who are providing support for you? Or is your faith in Jesus, Son of God, God incarnate, King of kings, Lord of creation, sovereign of the universe, the all-powerful one? The storm may not completely subside. It may not subside in this life. But this story affirms that Jesus is Lord. It's a foretaste of what we can be sure of. That there's a day coming when all storms will cease. When he will bring them all to an end. When he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. When there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will pass away. That day is coming for those who are able to answer the key question of this passage. Who is this Jesus? Jesus understands the storms we face. He's no stranger to suffering. He went through the ultimate storm of God's wrath so that we will never have to. He did not desert us in that ultimate storm that he faced. He will not desert us in the storms that we face.
So as we close, I want to ask each of you this question. Who is this Jesus? Is he your king? Is he your Lord? Is he your saviour? Did he take your place on the cross as he died for sins? Because if your answer to these questions is no, unfortunately the reality is that the storms you face in this life are nothing compared to what you will have to face in the next life. If Jesus hasn't borne God's wrath for you on the cross, then you will have to face that punishment yourself. And this life storms pale in comparison to that. So listen to what Luke is telling us about this Jesus. Examine the evidence. And if you do realize that Jesus is God, the King and Lord of all creation, then bow before him. Ask him for forgiveness and know the sure salvation that he brings. And if you already acknowledge that, yes, this Jesus is your Lord, King, and Savior, then know that although storms will come, Jesus is in total control, and that he is the sovereign King who will never leave you nor forsake you. And one day, he will bring you home to be with him forever where there will be calm, glassy waters and no more storms.